2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDSC. Three great words. Free fries Friday.
1: Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with
2: $1 minimum purchase. Bada one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through twelve thirty one twenty-four. Excludes tax must up rewards. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today.
0: Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine Podcast. I'm Jeremy Powell, the magazine's deputy editor, safely ensconced in my study in Cheltenham. And joining me from their homes in Bristol are reviews editor Michael Beek and editorial assistant Freya Parr. Hello. Hello. We're about to talk about the July 2020 issue of the magazine, which is on sale now. This is also a bit of a landmark podcast for us, however as it is the 10th anniversary of when editor Oliver Condy and the then Reviews editor Daniel Jaffe recorded the first ever BBC Music Magazine podcast. As I take a look back at the magazine itself from 10 years ago, I see that our July 2010 issue included, among other things, an interview with pianist Paul Lewis about playing all five Beethoven piano concertos at the BBC Proms, an in-depth feature on Proms founder Henry Wood, and, heading up the Reviews section, a Disc of the Month recommendation for Transformation the second CD by up-and-coming pianist Yuja Wang. Hmm, I wonder what happened to her. <laughs> A piece written by yours truly, meanwhile, reminds me that I was on the magazine staff back then as well. Michael and Frere, you were with us at that stage. What were you doing 10 years
2: ago? Ooh, 10 years ago. Uh, 2010. I was probably uh, working in the box office at St George's Bristol, the concert hall. Oh,
1: lovely.
2: Excellent. And
1: <laughs> I had... Probably, it was just about to do or just had done my GCSEs. It was a golden year, very good year, twenty ten.
0: <laughs> good. Well, I was as I say I was here in the magazine back then, um, and a very nice time it was too. <laughs> but enough with the past. Let's head back to the present day with our regular look at this month's music news. Music, 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 music. One thing above all leads off with this month's news, and that is that. We now know what is going to be happening to the BBC proms this year. Freya, tell us all about it, please.
1: Yes, so the proms are returning, but not quite as we know them. So a lot of the details still yet to be announced and decided. But um, this year's proms will be inevitably a bit of a virtual feast. So it's going to be a virtual festival featuring a kind of a raft of archive material on radio, TV and online. Um, And I imagine it will be extensive because their archives must be enormous and full of lovely things. Um, so all we know at this stage, at the time of recording, is that the first night will feature the world premiere of a piece by Ian Farrington performed by a virtual orchestra, and that will be a, they're calling it a mash-up of all Beethoven's Nine symphonies for, obviously, the composer's 250th anniversary. Um, and they're then hoping to return to the Royal Albert Hall for the final two weeks from the 28th of August, but I guess that's very much up in the air as to what the country looks like at that stage. Um, and they're hoping to have the last night of the proms as usual, but inevitably, probably still looking rather different to usual. So keep an eye out for our August issue, though, because we're going to be featuring all of the complete proms listing and a whole smorgasbord of proms features for you to enjoy.
0: Excellent. Now, what's interesting here is that normally, come April, when they announce the proms programme, we're kind of we always kind of agog with what performers we're going to see in the Albert Hall, etc. This year it has a little bit of a difference, doesn't it? Because I mean, most of our most of our listeners, I imagine, will have. have problems which they remember from the past which they absolutely adored and mm, will be true. hoping that they appear in this, mm. these archive recordings it'll be fascinating to choose which ones they go for yeah
2: it will be. and I think it's such an amazing archive that they have that they sort of sit on, you know, they occasionally pop things on iPlayer and obviously we do some nice uh, recordings on our discs and stuff. But it it's a, a really, really great sort of smorgasbord of, of sort of moments. And it'd be great, actually, if, if this is the sort of springboard for them sort of sharing these things a bit more readily in the future.
1: Because mm, a lot mm. of them you kind of you can find bits and bobs on, on YouTube and things like that, but often they're kind of... S- slightly questionable recordings and they're just little, mom- little moments that you can snatch. It'd be re- great to hear them, some of our favourites in full.
0: And there's some. there'll be some absolute classics in the sort of 1960s and the 50s in their 70s, which I you know really look forward to hearing almost as if they were live. So I think it's actually, in a way, despite the huge disappointment of losing the main season, mm. albeit we get two weeks possibly in the Albert Hall at the end of it, actually being able to delve into these radio archives will actually be a bit of a treat, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. I'm really looking forward It'll to it. It'll be
1: interesting to see what they do when they do return to... Because, obviously, Stephen Huff did his first live concert, uh, live lunchtime concert, back in the Wigmore Hall, I think, this week. Um, and And that was kind of recorded by a producer at one end of the hall, him at the other. And it, it was really magical listening to it, because it was you finally like, oh, this is happening right here. And it's not being, you know, you could tune in and listen to it on uh, on radio, which was really nice. So hopefully they have some, some live things as well.
2: Yeah, fingers crossed.
0: Yes, and that sort of leads me rather nicely onto my bit of news or the bit of news I'm going to be talking about. And that is that while we're still very much in the situation of one pianist in an empty hall with a producer other countries are beginning to welcome back audiences um recently there was a performance in Wiesbaden of a Mahler Mahler and Schubert I think it was song sung to audience who were they were spaced they were socially distanced so you kind of had very strange pictures of one person then you have three seats and then one person then three seats um uh, so there's been concerts in Wiesbaden, Italy, a couple of Italian festivals have announced that they are going to be carrying on this year, but with um, seating arrangement different from normal. So the Rossini Festival, I know for certain, is going to have the the performers are up on stage. Then you'll have the orchestra will be in the auditorium and then the audience are all going to be up in private boxes looking down. So they mm. will you know, still have performances. I know the Ravenna Festival, which has a lot of concerts outdoors, which helps. Is going to carry on with a socially socially distanced audience. Parnu in Estonia is planning to carry on with again with socially distanced audiences. So things are starting to come come back together, but it's a, it's a slow burn, isn't it?
2: It is. It's encouraging though, and I sort of wonder how long it's going to take to yeah. file in and file out of auditoriums in the future, oh gosh, <laughs> for all keeping yeah. our distance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also, you hope that kind of theatres and consoles are able to survive on what must be really depleted audience numbers. Um, because inevitably with social distancing you can only have a portion of you know the audiences they'd usually expect you hope that there's some yeah, structures in place to support that
2: definitely and they might just have to revise the program uh, mm. and, and and rethink what they what they offer because the budget won't mm. be the same smaller
0: scale yeah absolutely but at least as you say i mean, and i i like yourself enjoyed listening to to Stephen Huff yesterday playing from the Wigmore Hall. And it sort of, even if it was in a completely empty hall bar, Andrew McGregor presenting it and Mm. the producer, it did feel like some sort of occasion. Um, The the sort of magic was slightly ruined for me by, as I was listening to it, I looked outside the kitchen window and saw a group of at least 10 teenagers wandering past with no regard to social distancing whatsoever. It kind of made (laughs) me feel... For each step we take forward, there's a couple yeah. of steps <laughs> taken back in the really real is. world, but
2: yeah. that's life, I guess.
0: Yeah. So, Mike, what's it been in the news for you?
2: Oh, uh, well, It's this fascinating and rather epic project that um, Odra Deck Records are, are overseeing. It's called Project Nurns, uh, and it's a really ambitious uh, project where they're basically recording the complete Gregorian chant, (laughs) if you can imagine it. Um, So they're basically creating this music resource uh, currently on a web app, which was launched uh, at the end of May. And eventually it will be 7,000 discs worth of music. Uh, It's being recorded by the the Benedictine nuns from the Abbey of Notre Dame de Fidelité of Juc. In Provence, uh, and uh, the the web app will basically have the recordings. Uh, it will also have the uh, the notation, so the score, uh, the Latin text, and whoever's using it on the web app can have it translated that text into their own language. So it's oh, going to wow. be this amazing resource. Uh, they're la- launching uh, uh, apps for iOS and Android uh, later in the year, uh, but at the moment it's a free to use web app, and it's going to grow and grow uh, as the weeks and months go by until they reach sort of seven thousand CDs worth. And we've got a clip actually. Of uh, one of their Pentecost recordings, which was uh, made live uh, at the end of May. So that was the Veni Sancte Spiritus uh, from, from the Pentecost uh, Sequentia, uh, recorded by the Benedictine Months of the Abbey of Notre Dame de Fidel- Fidelité of Juc in Provence. And that's part of the Project Noms, uh, which is uh, available online on a, on a web app currently.
1: So are they currently recording it then?
2: Yeah, it's ongoing. It's an it's ongoing project. So it's just gonna, they're going to keep recording more and more stuff. Uh, and you can you can access it, which is just fascinating.
1: What a lovely lockdown project!
2: <laughs>
0: that's going to be a great project for years to come. I mean, it was it'd be fascinating to see what it what it brings out. Mm. Yeah, good. Well, that's that's this month's news covered. It's time to move on to the July issue of BBC Music Magazine and see what is in this month's magazine. This month. So, we're very keen to stress that we're producing the magazine as usual. Subscribers will get their, their issue delivered in the normal way. But many of you won't be able to get to the shops to pick up your issue, so we're offering all non-subscribers a totally risk-free, no-strings-way to get your next three issues to you with free delivery. Just visit www.classical-music.com offer and you'll be able to make a one-off payment without setting a direct, up a direct debit and you'll save 15% on the newsstand price too. When you do get your July issue, what you'll see on the front cover is a cover CD of Ravel's Daphnis A. Chloe, The Ballet, and it's performed by the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra under Donald Runicles, and delightful it is too, an absolutely mesmerising listen. Lurking behind the cover CD, you'll also see the welcoming face of cellist Yo-Yo Ma. We have exclusively interviewed him in this month's magazine. Um, He has been telling us, or he's been telling rather our interviewer, Helen Wallace, about how his ongoing Bach project has had to come for a brief halt because of um, COVID-19. He was performing Bach cello suites all around the world and had got about two thirds of it under his belt, but he's now had to postpone the rest of it for a little while, obviously. But he has plenty of other things that she's working on at the moment, one of which is his New disc called Not Our First Goat Rodeo. Now notice the word our in there, not my, because he's been doing it with fellow musicians Edgar Mayer, Chris Tile, Stuart Duncan, and Eva O'Donovan. Now, some of those names will not be familiar for to classical listeners because um, they work quite a lot in the world of bluegrass, particularly Stuart Duncan, who is a bluegrass fiddler. Um, Chris Tile is a mandolin player and Edgar Mayer is a bassist and Eva O'Donovan is a singer. Anyway, they did their first. Um, Goat Rodeo album about 10 years ago but so busy have their diaries been they've only just now had the chance to get back and make another one together now the last Goat Rodeo album was um very well received, really really popular and Yo-Yo Ma had, clearly had a lot of fun joining in a sort of area of music which is not his normal sort of territory um, and we interview all five of the musicians about the album actually, not just Yo-Yo um, and they tell us um how they kind of got used to each other's music worlds. 10 years ago and kind of enjoyed reconvening to do it again now
2: it's brilliant the, the album's great and uh yo yo is such a lovely guy and a real advocate for music making and sort of crossing sort of genres and all those borders that we sort of put up and i think it's a it's a great read as well really nice interview
1: he fits so well into that seat like you would never know listening to the album like he has all of that beautiful technicality that we have come to expect from him but he fits seamlessly into what is a very, very different style of music, and it's such a good—it's such a good lesson. I've been listening to it a lot in lockdown because it's quite, quite stirring.
0: It is <laughs> quite
2: upbeat, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, And what, he actually, what actually Yo-Yo talks about in the interview, as well as um, Not Our First Goat Radio and the Bach Project, is actually his Silk Road project, which has been ongoing for a long time now, which is all about gathering musicians from across the world and in, in kind of investigating each other's musical cultures and crossing borders. So it's sort of what we like to slightly glibly call world music. He kind of plays a lot of that with them. And it's a case of the whole idea is that we shouldn't be divided by different musical cultures. They actually, they come together. And this is what he was doing actually with the bluegrass thing is that Mm -hmm. he pitched himself into playing with these players and they loved each other's company right from the first, first moment. And actually when I, I myself was chatted to um, Stuart Duncan a little bit and he was telling me how he and Yo-Yo were comparing Boeing stars because. Yo-Yo has a classical bowing style and Stuart has a very uh, has a typical bluegrass bowing style. And the two are very, very different. And it's how they sort of kind of adapted to each other's style. It's fascinating stuff. So, well, let's not just describe this music. We can actually hear a little bit of it. Um, this track is called Scarcely Cricket, and it's from not our first goat rodeo. It's on Sony Masterworks, by the way, if you want to buy the disc. Um, let's hear a little bit of it. So that was Yo-Yo Ma on bluegrass form. Now we're going to move from one of today's great cellists to a probably not very well-known musician of yesteryear, but nonetheless a very, very influential one. Tell us all about him, Freya.
1: Yes, this is uh, a piece that Andrew Green has written for us about August Manns, who was a totally new figure to me. I'd never even heard of him. Um, But he was a German conductor who worked at Crystal Palace in London during the kind of 19th century and brought entire new audiences to classical music it's a really fascinating read, I learnt a huge amount from it um, he kind of put Christ- Crystal Palace on the map in the classical music world with a huge number of regular performances each week a, like a schedule that would make most conductors go slightly weak at the knees um, but he attracted huge names to perform during uh, Clara Schumann and Liszt among many others um, and he had very clever kind of marketing styles and that they he would because obviously Crystal Palace is kind of on the outskirts of London, he would lure people out to <laughs> to those <laughs> regions of London with these kind of combined rail and concert tickets. Um, he had this massive influence all across the, the whole of the UK, actually, and including a lot of lesser-known repertoire, um, and did, obviously hosted a lot of um, UK premieres as well, including Schubert's Unfinished Symphony, which was interesting to learn. But yeah, it was a fascinating read, and you, if he's a figure you haven't heard of, it's definitely worth checking out.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I must admit, in my ignorance, I'd never heard of him. And mm. my sort of knowledge of what was the Crystal Palace was literally just the great exhibition you know, when it was in Hyde Park. I had no idea, perhaps stupidly, that they'd moved the whole thing down to South, south London and it became this sort of concert hall. Yeah. Mm. Amongst other things.
0: And what was interesting, what was really interesting is that actually he was kind of one of a, a bit of a double header, because um, he was German, of course, August Mann, And then up in Manchester, um, Charles Halle, mm. who was actually German himself, um, was launching the Halle Orchestra um, and bringing, doing similar things in Manchester. So we had kind of the, the burgeoning of British music in the second half of the 19th century. We actually have to thank two German conductors. <laughs> yeah. But they're both hugely influential figures, um, and as you say, the August Mans, by the time he retired at the very beginning of the twentieth century, was a um, very highly rated figure. He was kind of fated all around. He kind of he invited, invited to big ceremonial dinners by the great and the good. Um, and it's surprising that his name has actually disappeared a little bit from the from the radar. Mm-hmm so that's the great august mans as you can read all about him in the july issue as likewise you can also read about some really rather good releases this month can't you michael
2: you can indeed we've actually got a great issue uh as always. But there's some really fantastic uh, section lead choices this month. Uh, Freya is going to tell us a little bit about one of them later in her first listen. Uh, but alongside that, uh, we've got a glorious disc of Elgar and Beach Piano Quintets on Hyperion, uh, a glittering double concerto disc of uh, Bach and Vivaldi on Arcana. And our recording of the month is a staggering performance of uh, Shostakovich's Violin Concerto Number no. 1. And this is performed by Alina Ibragimova. Uh, let's hear a bit first. Uh, this is uh, the fourth movement of the Piano Concerto Number One. So I think you'll agree that was pretty stupendous uh, and rightful place as our recording of the month. That was uh, the, the final uh, movement uh, of the Violin Concerto number 1 by Shostakovich and that was Alina Ibrahimova and the State Academic Orchestra of Russia, Evgeny Svetlanov, which is a great title, uh, a <laughs> great name for an orchestra, conducted by Vladimir Jurovsky.
0: There's been so many great recordings of, of Shostakovich's violin concertos, Um to, to actually produce one which makes a reviewer's ears prick up is something something special, isn't it?
2: Definitely. And what she does with this is she puts in the uh, the cadenza, which Shostakovich originally wrote, uh, which is quite an unusual thing because uh, it was written for uh, David Oystruck and uh, he asked Shostakovich to sort of let him off a bit at the end <laughs> and take the pressure off. So could he sort <laughs> of revise the cadenza for him so that the the orchestra took some of the weight uh, and uh, Alina actually takes the original cadenza that Shostakovich wrote originally for for VoiceTrack and actually plays that and plays a blinder. Really good.
1: I feel like all of the monthly choices this month could have been recording of the month. There were so many good ones.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's been a really strong month, a really strong month.
0: Yes, the world might be in lockdown, but the the fine recordings certainly keep coming. Well, as you mentioned, um, Freya also wants to talk about one of this month's best releases in our first listen section of the podcast, so let's have that section now. So go on then, Fred, you kick off. What has been capturing your ears this month?
1: So I have brought along Corensis' new recording with Musica Turner uh, of Beethoven 5. And it's the one they performed together, at the 2018 proms to rave reviews. Um, that was one I was really disappointed to to miss because the reviews were absolutely outstanding and I thought how could a Beethoven 5 which kind of appears at the proms every year be so stand out but now I've heard it on disc I understand and it's pretty rare that recording of um this work is worthy of note and can stand out from the crowd but this recording is it's on point to make a piece that's performed this um this regularly sounds so fresh is such a marvel so we are going to listen to the opening of Beethoven 5 by Musica Turner under Carensis. was the first movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, uh, performed by Music Eterna under Theodore Corensis and recorded on Sony. He takes it at quite a brisk tempo. It's not one, It reminded me of when we uh, we did the Beat Beethoven Challenge where we ran 5K and tried to beat Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. I would not want to do it to this one because it's really, really swift.
0: Say, <laughs> some, some of us have very bitter memories of Beethoven's Fifth <laughs> as a result of that run. I should point out that Freya, whose idea it was comfortably beat beethoven's fifth symphony ran 5000 meters faster than you can play beethoven's fifth (laughs) Fifth symphony i just about got there before the final chords, but it was a i I felt it the next couple of days let's put it that way yeah you did really well i watched
1: quite a measured recording but i would not want to do it to this one you'd really be racing against the clock but i don't know how he does it because it's so it's really speedy but it has more clarity than so so many other recordings I've ever heard. It's just miraculous. And you can hear all the kind of minute details that you often miss unless you look at the score specifically. So I just think it's yeah. marvellous. And there's more to come Excellent.
2: from them as well. They're doing all the symphonies, so it's really exciting oh. uh, start. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite exciting. excited
0: about that series, I have to say.
2: Yeah. yeah, and it's one symphony per sort of release, so it's just, just that fifth on the disc. Uh, so let it shine, absolutely.
1: Keeps us waiting.
2: Oh.
0: Excellent. So, Michael, what what, what else has, have you been listening to recently?
2: So, this is totally not normally my cup of tea, but I really, really fell for this one. Uh, it's a new disc by uh, the American violinist Alana Youssefian and her group, uh, Le Bien Amé. Uh, and it's music by a composer... I'd never heard of an 18th-century composer called Louis Gabriel uh, gumar uh, and it's a whole load of uh, trio sonatas and tr- what we call trio symphonies. So, these little small chamber symphonies uh, written for the court of Louis the Fifteenth, and it just totally transports you to this sort of French salon, sort of candlelit. It's just absolutely brilliant, uh, and we're here a bit now, so let's play it. Lovely. Sparkling.
0: It was. And I understand the, the, the actual disc
2: itself is called Prions Deniable, correct? Absolutely right, Jeremy. Beautifully said. <laughs> Excellent. And that's on the Avi label. That's on the Avi label. And that was the uh, symphony in E-flat major, uh, the Allegro from that. So absolutely beautiful disc. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to
0: round us off with something very different from that. I've been recently quite enjoying the music of Morton Gold, who was a US composer who lived in... The sort of throughout the twentieth century, he was died quite, quite old. He lived from nineteen thirteen to nineteen ninety six. The ORF Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra under Arthur Fagan recently released a disc of three of his symphonettes, numbers two, three, and four. Um, now, this music, it's infused with the spirit of America. Gould kind of, he was actually very well known as a Broadway composer, but he wrote lots of music for symphony orchestra as well. And in here, he packs in all sorts of American dances, but also Latin American dances um, as well. It's it's very, very good feel, good stuff. It's loud, it's brash, it's great fun. It's perfect to kind of lift you out of the gloomy mood of lockdown. Um, The um, the bit I'm going to choose, we're going to go for his symphonette number four, and it's the conga at the end of it which is just rip-roaring fun So there you go that was the conga from morton gould's symphonette number four um that was played by the orf vienna radio symphony orchestra under arthur fagan and you can get that on the naxos label
2: oh i enjoyed that jeremy lovely yeah it's
0: fun isn't it love a conga yes put you in the mood for a a few beers obviously socially distanced beers and kind of a dance in the garden (laughs)
2: absolutely
0: with whoever (laughs) (laughs) brilliant that brings us to the end of this month's podcast Our jingles, each one inspired by a different English choral composer, were written by Christopher Maxim, and our podcast is produced here in Bristol by Jack Bateman and Ben Hewitt. So it's goodbye from me, Michael and Frere, and as if to round off 10 years of podcasts, this is the final BBC Music Magazine podcast in this format. As of next month, we'll be launching a brand new series involving interviews with both leading musicians and familiar figures from the wider world. Want to know more? You'll have to watch this space. In the meantime, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.
2: The BBC
0: Museque Magazine Paul.